0: Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us, because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 268. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to review and discuss the live-action remake of The Little Mermaid. I am very excited to sit and finally discuss this film, which, if you would have told me when the trailer dropped that this would be my reaction, I probably would have called you a liar. Because I remember when the initial trailer came out, the CGI looked so bad. And mind you, this was on the heels of Pinocchio. Holy smokey And we know that historically, these live-action remakes have been hit or miss. And I think when you do something like The Little Mermaid, Disney is ripe for the picking when it comes to the criticism, especially because they do so many of these live-action remakes. So I I am just so happy, personally, with the final product and that we are finally here to talk about it.
1: Yeah, this is a big episode. Um, Not only did they have a huge undertaking from a technical standpoint with all of those visual effects and making sure that they looked good in the final product, but They had so much to overcome with the production itself because they were about to get started. I mean, they were ready to have cameras rolling when COVID hit. So, I mean, I guess of all the films on the Disney slate that this had to happen to, this was probably the easiest that they could get back to production-wise because since there is so much CGI, Ariel is often isolated and all you have to do is animate Sebastian Flounder or Scuttle around her so this was probably one of the ones that they could get done quickly and still get it into theaters but at the same time when you think about it they started on this in 2019 and it took four years to get it into the theaters I mean I I think that the pandemic was the biggest hiccup but I still think that just because you're having to rely on CGI so much just by virtue of you're tackling the little mermaid you're under the sea. uh, It still would have taken a long time, Um, but it's kind of surreal to be sitting down and talking about it now just because of what it's meant to us personally. Um, You know, we talk about it on the show all the time that the little mermaid was my favorite animated film. It was the first film that I saw in movie theaters. So it was a hugely formative movie for me. Um, So much to the point that we picked it for our very first episode of Monoreal Radio. And at the time when we reviewed it, this is five years ago now, when we launched in 2018, they had announced that they were doing the live action. So this is just kind of a weird time warp.
0: And I'm just happy as well for you because there was a moment when we saw this in theaters for the first time. I think it was during Part of Your World where... I'm watching it and I'm thinking, I kind of, this is pretty good. I kind of liked it. And then I catch out of the peripheral vision. You're crying. And I'm like, oh no. (laughs) What what is it like? Is this happy tears? Or is this like the first time I went to the building they call Yankee Stadium? And I walked in and I said, I expletive, expletive hate this place because it's not the same. You know what I'm saying? Like when you like to your point, you have such a personal connection with the little mermaid that You, of all people, are really... It's going to be a raw nerve for you if they get it wrong. Now, we're not burying much of a lead if you listen to our year-in-review. You know that we gushed about how much we enjoyed this, and if you caught our monoreal in a minute on the social, you know how much we enjoyed it. What I'm going to be interested in seeing is, did our opinions change? Now we're a few months later, we have a few more viewings under our belt. Was this worth... The four-year wait. And where does this rank amongst the Disney live-action remakes? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today.
1: This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code MONOREAL at checkout. Visit FierceFoxDesignCo.com to check out all of the collections.
0: Traditionally, it's at this point that we would go and do the full plot, we'd lay it out for you, and then we'd start breaking it down. However, we don't really need to do that here because this, for the most part is very much like a shot-for-shot remake of the original film. Now, it does have a longer runtime because they drag some scenes out. We get a little bit more backstory on certain characters. That's more what we're here to discuss today and, and whether we think that some of those additions were the right moves or not.
1: Right. So if you need the plot, you can go back to episode one, although... Be kind to it. It was our first one. I I did re-listen to it recently just because I wanted to refresh exactly what we said and what our opinions are and what we were predicting for this live action, Um, but it was our first episode. And I'm fine with
0: it. Listen, (laughs) you get what you pay for. This show is free.
1: No, it was like content-wise, it's very similar. It's still the same it's still essentially the same show that we're doing, but like I, I mean, I, I was rough. It was my first episode. Like I was not used to this yet. New you're, you're the radio, radio. guy. you yeah. know, it, it took a while to get comfy with it and I think it shows. But anyway, um, there are a couple of things that we had said uh, that I'm excited to bring up now because uh, some of them paid off. some of them, not so much.
0: I really like the the introduction here. I like the start of the film. Um, I think cinematically, it looks really good. I love the set of the ship. This feels like a pirate film. And I kind of like that they opened it with the the mermaid lore of these sailors at sea slowly losing their minds and they think they're seeing things um they're harpooning dolphins i mean they don't you don't actually get one but um they they think they're seeing these mermaids and i just i love that this is where we started it off
1: i couldn't agree more um to your point about this feeling like a pirate movie that was one of my biggest takeaways from the trailer but i think that's also a testament to having rob marshall directing it Yeah, because he did do one of the pirates movies he did on stranger tides i believe
0: uh, one of uh, hot take one of the better ones yeah by and the way.
1: it's interesting now you see it brought full circle that's the one with penelope cruz who is married to javier bardem who later comes into a pirates movie and now he's in this so you know 6 degrees of Disney Kevin Bacon or whatever you want to call sure. it. Sure. Uh but I I agree. I love that it starts with these rough waters and I love 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 that they opened on the Hans Christian Andersen quote from the book a mermaid has no tears and therefore she suffers so much more. That was honestly the instant that I fell in love with this movie because I was like oh you get it. You're going to go back to your source material. You are going to deepen this character and you're already up front addressing people's biggest gripe with this film. When you're looking at it on, pardon the pun, surface value, everyone says Ariel trades her voice for a guy. And that is not it at all. Ariel wants to be a part of the human world. She wants the human experience. This is about her. The boy is a byproduct of that. And I love that they just attacked that right up front and shut it down. I thought that was so smart. And I I was also like, "Ooh, are we going to get a little bit darker? And they do. I thought that was really cool Uh, because the book is very, very dark. I was at first missing Fathoms Below as this opening song because it's such a great transition when they throw the fish back overboard and then we go under the sea. But I actually love where they move that as far as moving the musical number. And I couldn't agree more with you. I love that they're leaning into this lore with these superstitious sailors. Um, I also think that it's a great intro for Eric because he's the one who's like, are you guys crazy? These aren't mermaids. They're dolphins. Stop. And, you know, you get this little beat with him and Grimsby where he's talking about the trade and what that means to their island. So they're already starting to deep in eric's character um and this is before you know this is within the first two minutes of screen times so then we do have the transition under the sea
0: ouch so it's it's horrific
1: i the transition itself is smooth i like how they do it with the telescope but there are still moments that look like a windows 95 screensaver And between the theatrical release and the drop to Disney Plus, they didn't do much to boost the CGI there. But the score still slaps. And that is actually the first time I cried when we saw this in theaters, because even though I was taken aback with the visual, um, I heard Alan Menken's score and I was just a puddle. And I think that's when you looked at me, actually, and kind of went, oh, no.
0: I don't. I, all I know is that I have visions of the black background with the orange letters telling me that it is now safe to turn off my computer. People of a certain age will remember <laughs> when this was a thing. Um, it, it it it's jarringly bad. And you know what? I I hope the, m- r- moments like this. This is where I hope that the visual effects artists unionize because <laughs> like this is, it's, so Whoa, for it's so bad. It's so bad.
1: Well, I will say this, though, and I mean, not that you should have to rob Peter to pay Paul in this case, but the mermaids look so good. Yes. They clearly that's where they spent their time. And it's obvious, but that doesn't mean that this should look like garbage to achieve that.
0: Yeah. Um, but to your point, the mermaids, once we get through, because we could sit here forever and talk about this disgusting CGI um, once you get to the mermaids, they look great. And I love that we get introduced to all of her sisters and that they plant immediately, that they are all from different regions, that they are all from different bodies of water in, on the planet. Like this is it's so well done. I, I absolutely love what they did here.
1: I agree. I like the change as far as having Triton's daughters you know they're leaning into the mythology of the seven seas with that Um, so I like it in that regard but I actually don't love it for what it does to the family unit because part of Ariel's decision being difficult is that she's cutting ties to her father and her sisters so now it really does just become a movie about her relationship with her father more so than the whole family um, because I'm getting the impression that even though we're going to see the sisters again, I think they're just kind of in town for the coral moon. I don't think that they all live together in the palace the way that it's set up Correct in the animation. Um, another bad bit of CGI, I think that Triton's entrance looks pretty terrible with the way these fish swirl around him. Like, he looks great, but the reveal... Is kind of wonky.
0: It's a little rough. How do you feel about um, how they introduce the relationship immediately between Triton and Sebastian?
1: Um. Well, I think that that also has to do with another very big cut here. In the animation, they're obviously opening on the concert, so with the change of the Daughters of Triton, you're also losing that, and you lose that Sebastian is this composer. Um, I think that's a pretty big miss for me, actually. Uh, I like that he's still Triton's sidekick, but that's where a lot of the humor came from was because that wasn't his job. He was a composer, and all of the muttering under his breath came from, this is not my responsibility. I'm supposed to be, you know making this beautiful music, and instead he's got me chasing his teenage daughter around. So you still get the muttering, which is very funny, but this is his job. This is his assignment as the king's sidekick, and I just think that losing the composer element um, under the sea is still great, kiss the girl is still great, but like you buy that more knowing that this crustacean music is, is just what he does.
0: Yeah, they make him more like a Zazu than a Sebastian.
1: They call him a major domo, actually. Yeah.
0: Um, I agree with you. I thought that it was a miss. I-, I like that they introduced the sisters this way, and I'm fine with them not all living in the palace and they all have their place that they go. But setting up a meeting, like, let's call it, like, you made pantsuit princesses. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's basically what you did, which I- I- this is. Everything that has started to collapse with Snow White is <laughs> the pantsuit princess. It's okay to be whimsical, because we're going to have Under the Sea later, okay? It's, it's a mermaid, folks. Like, I do like how they introed the... Ariel Missing, I thought, was better in the animated version, for sure. Then it's just like, we're already in this room, and it's like, where's Ariel? You don't yeah. have that reveal the way that you do when the clamshell opens and she's not there. And the
1: gasps. That's the other thing. There's not a big enough reaction from the sisters.
0: Well, and the other thing was, mind you, that part of what upset Triton so much was because it happened in front of all the people. Yes. Here it happens in front of the seven of them. And they don't seem to be, like, rolling their eyes like, oh, here she goes again. It, it's I, I think that they did miss a little bit there with developing her as being the rebellion. Remember, I said in the first episode that she was the Gen X Disney princess, and I still believe that. I think that the critics don't understand what Gen X was. Um I I I think that we are missing a little bit here, that introduction of the character.
1: Yeah, but I think this is also serving to reinforce um stripping everything else away to focus on her dynamic with her father because that was one of the big things that you and I had talked about with the animation was you thought Triton was kind of a jerk and I was making the argument that he's being an overprotective father especially because he's a single father um And you actually yelled at me and said, no, Danny Tanner is the quintessential single father. And this is not Danny Tanner (laughs) being protective. Die on the hill. Um, I'll die on the hill. Well, now I totally see what you were saying, because to me, this version of Triton is like the jerk that's trying to control her and not so much protect her. Um, But I also think that that was done to address one of the bigger issues with the animation was that Ariel is sixteen. And you needed to do that because they are sticking with Eric's twenty first birthday. So you have to age Ariel up a little bit more. And in doing so, you're losing that defiant teenager. She's her own woman. Um, so they're gonna butt heads even more because, If she's not 16, she doesn't really have to listen to him. She's more adult here. So this is about, I'm of age. You need to respect me as my own person and stop trying to control me. And I think that that works as far as their relationship goes. But everything else that comes along with that as far as the sisters and this meeting of the minds... It's kind of a step back to push that storyline forward.
0: Let's talk about Ariel, though, as we are introduced to her, um, played by Halle Bailey, right? And we'll talk about cast later. As soon as she came on the screen, though, and this is going to sound weird because you're talking live action versus animation. As soon as she came on the screen, I saw... While she did make it her own, I saw how she really took the spirit of the Jodie Benson character and brought that to life here. She's got wonder. She's got whimsy. She's a little naive. All right. A little reckless and innocent. Like she just found a way to strike. She is so perfect. She finds such a perfect balance in the first minute and a half of screen time. That And I know that she took it seriously, that this role meant so much to her. Fancy that. And this is the byproduct of somebody that really cared about their performance.
1: She just straight up understood the assignment. She understood the character. Um, and and she just knocked it out of the park. I mean, I, I don't want to say too much now because we are going to talk about the cast. But... Um, I like I, I can't overstate enough how incredible she was in this role. I mean just right down to this like sparkle that she has in her eyes. Um it, it's a quality that you didn't necess- or you weren't necessarily able to see in the animation as amazing as the animation is. Um, she is bringing her to life in a new way like this is why you do a live action to flesh something like this out and aside from all of the added depth that she gave ariel um stylistically she just looks amazing i love how they handled the fins i love how they're not all green and that they become iridescent and there's tones of purple in there it almost looks like instead of well i mean she doesn't have the seashells but it almost looks like um her stomach is exposed and then the fins continue up the rest of her body and you really this is something that i don't think shows as nicely on disney plus as it did in the theaters they have like the sparkling scales all over her body like the, the design is just... And, and I haven't even gotten started on her hair yet and how they had to animate the hair because underwater, that's all done. Like, every strand is animated, much like they did Merida in uh, Brave. And then Hallie wanted to use her real hair and dye her real hair for all of the parts on land. Um, She was just so committed, and it shows through and through.
0: I like that they kept the original peril that she finds herself in with the shark. But without... Making it like, you know, a joke. You you kind of play with it in, in the animation because it is going to be peril, but lighthearted peril. You don't necessarily have to do this here in live action. And I, I think that for people that were critical of how Scuttle looked, of how Sebastian looked, remember something. It's supposed to be a live action remake. They're supposed to look real. They're not supposed to look like the animated versions of themselves. I like how they did that. I like the look of all of it. Um, I just, I thought that from this moment on, some of the wonky CGI aside, I thought that this was one of the better understandings of what a live action remake is supposed to be.
1: I agree. And yes, I don't want to lose sight that everything is supposed to be a little bit more realistic, but like, I also do like a little bit more whimsy in my CGI characters. Like, we were very critical of the live-action Beauty and the Beast because of the disservice that they did to Cogsworth Lumiere and Mrs. Potts and how they just sort of slapped a face on the side of an object instead of incorporating the object into the design. And I mean, yes, that is why the animation medium is so much fun is because you can do things like that and you make the stem of a teapot a nose. So you're not necessarily going to do that here. And you do want, because they're animals, you want them to look realistic. I mean, like, yeah, if this was the jungle book, we would have been a lot more critical if they weren't looking, you know, photoreal. But for these characters, because we are dealing with mermaids, there's a certain whimsy that you're expecting. And, I wouldn't have minded if they did look a little bit more cartoony. Um, To circle back to what you said uh, with the shark, I agree. They did sort of play down the whimsy and play up the danger in that regard. I thought the shark looked pretty good as far as the CGI goes. I think that's one of the better elements here. And I love this trick with the mirror because in the animation, Ariel outsmarts the shark by swimming through a tight space that she knows he can't get through here. Here, It's a brilliant sight gag, and it's also good character development because it's showing how clever she is. Um, As far as Flounder Sebastian and Scuttle go, um, I actually really like the gender swap on Scuttle. I thought Aquafina knocked it out of the park. Uh, She was leaps and bounds better than anticipated. But what I really don't like is the change of the bird. I like Scuttle as a seagull. I don't need Scuttle to be diving underwater to have a conversation. I agree. Because you're also eliminating the peril of Ariel going up to the surface. That's what her father is forbidding. So I think she should have spent a couple of minutes with her head above the water. Because now I don't really buy what Triton is getting so upset about.
0: I think that's a good point. Um, yeah, we didn't need Scuttle underwater to have the conversation. I feel found that to be a little jarring uh, upon first watch. Um but what I did uh, what I did like a lot actually was the change with Scuttle in n- not only j- the gender swap and yeah Aquafina was really good. Um I liked that in this case like Scuttle's kind of a shyster. You can tell yeah. she's making it up as she goes along. And I love that that's the twist that they did. It not some all and we know it's that they're wrong, you know, Dinglehopper. It's not some all knowing Oracle that Ariel is just blindly following. This is somebody that is making it up as they go along. And like they're not even totally convinced in what they're saying I liked how they made that change to the character. I thought it was very funny.
1: I agree. I don't think that there's malintent, though, with her being a shyster. I just think it's that she's trying so hard. Um, But they pay it off in the end because Scuttle does have a big moment where uh, she's coming to the rescue without Flounder and Sebastian's aid.
0: Yeah, I think that Scuttle has a, a much bigger moment at the end scuttle in the original film is there for comic relief and it works this is the other thing like as i said they're kind of shot for shot remakes i'll stand by that this is a straight live action remake they they expand on a few things here that i think they didn't expand on in the first film and i think it kind of actually pluses the experience um but with all of that being said this is very much its own movie but it do, but it's not its own movie to the point that it strays so far from the original that you feel like you're watching something different like i i think that they do strike the balance really well here and i think scuttle um is a perfect example for for the animated version of the film scuttle is straight comic relief in this case for this version of the movie yes comic relief but serves the bigger
1: purpose I also think that there was a bit of a trade-off with Flounder and Scuttle because I feel like Flounder has so much more screen time in the animation. And here, we don't get that. And I, I get it. You know, you put the castle high up on a hill. Flounder can't swim up and visit Ariel the way that he does in the animation. So I think that was the other challenge was that they had to lean more into Scuttle. So you couldn't have Scuttle be the, again, pardon the pun, butt of the joke the entire time. So now we get our first look at Ursula. Yes. This was one of the things that I was most excited to see brought to life in the live action. Um, because just in the trailer, when you saw that they went for the glow in the dark tentacles and they were using black lights, I thought that that was so cool. Um, and I love that they really kept the design and the integrity of this character Um because that was such a big deal in the animation. You know, we talked about how Howard Ashman um, was inspired by a drag queen that he knew. And that's where the visual of Ursula came about, was modeled after the drag queen. So I love that they didn't shy away from that in Melissa McCarthy's makeup and hairstyle. And if anything, they sort of leaned into it a little bit more by making her so over the top with so much panache and you know we are going to talk about uh, Melissa McCarthy's performance later on when we talk about the cast but um, I I just loved seeing her brought to life in this way
0: and something that I thought they did really well was that they not only addressed the lineage between her and Triton but they sort of touch on after being cast out her descent into madness and it's not just evil for evil's sake she's got a vendetta she's been planning it she's got a motive she's unhinged and she's been biding her time this is where the added screen time works. Yes. Specifically for Ursula. I thought it was really, really well done.
1: Right. And that was something that we were critical of in the animation because we they don't say explicitly that she is Triton's sister. They allude to it because they talk about her living in the palace. But you're supposed to sort of infer that from the information that you're getting. But it's never something that's really said explicitly. And you and I had said, why now? Why has she been biding her time? And I I think part of that, it's answered better here that she sort of has to wait for Ariel to come of age because she knows she can't go up against the Triton. Even though she has all of her potions and stuff, she's a witch. She doesn't have power per se. Right. So she couldn't just straight on go after her brother she's got to use Ariel and the time to do that is now because there's obviously a lot of cracks in Ariel's relationship with her father and it's, it's very fractured and Ursula just rips that wide open.
0: Let's talk about the meet-cute between Ariel and Eric because we'll talk about part of your world later when we break down the songs and the performances This is very similar. She sees the fireworks. She goes to the surface. It's very much the same as it was in the original. And I think that that's fine. They don't do anything to add on it, but I don't necessarily think that they had to either.
1: I disagree, actually, because in the animation, she sees the shadow of the ship passing, but when she goes to pursue it now... um. It's because she wants to go back to the shipwreck site and keep exploring. Um, So, yes, then she notices and then she goes to the surface because it's his birthday there. You know, it's very lively. There's fireworks. Um, But I think that there's a little bit more of a motivation now other than, oh, I'm seeing the ship pass. And now it's more like I'm not listening to you, dad. I'm going up. Um, we do get more development from Eric here too, because he's celebrating his birthday. We see that he wants to be one of the guys and Grimsby is sort of pushing him to separate himself from that because he needs to be their leader. So I think that that's super important. And I love this parallel of Eric feeling so trapped on the land and called to the sea. It's so obvious, but it's so brilliant.
0: Something that they do really well here for Eric. And they elaborate on it more later when he gets his song. Whether he needed it or not.
1: <laughs> oh, we're going to have words.
0: Probably. Um t- t- To the point that you just made, though, I really love everything they're doing with him. That they are building on this character because... He's meant for the land, he's drawn to the sea, he's going to have that push and pull with his mother on land. But I love the motivation because ultimately, he's doing all of this because if he explores the sea, he can improve life on the land. He can bring medicines, he can bring food, he can bring trade like to him he's drawn to the sea but it's for the greater good it's it's not in such a selfish way like in the original film he wants to be a swashbuckler he wants adventure and again for that version of the film i have no problem with that i have no critique of that to build on it in this version of the film makes so much more sense.
1: Exactly. And again, that is paralleling Ariel because it's not just that she wants to explore the human world for her own selfish reasons. She knows that, you know, we did get a little bit more backstory there. She knows that her mother was killed by a man. Um But she also knows that there was a bridge between worlds once upon a time and she wants to improve the relationship. So to go back to your original point with the meet cute, now it's more than just Ariel being attracted to this cute guy that she sees who's having a birthday. What they've done here is they've made them kindred spirits and there is so much more to build their relationship on now because they've laid so much foundation. And I think it was also important, too, that, to your point with the added time, they spent the time laying that groundwork so that by the time we're here and they are seeing each or well, she's seeing him, at least, and they do get to the beach when she rescues him, um, it's it doesn't feel as random that they've just seen each other because they've really taken their time to build to this moment and you've got two fully developed characters meeting
0: in the meantime now we have the moment that is familiar to us from the you know original film where Triton overhears his other daughters talking about how they believe that there is a merman that has caught the attention of Ariel and Triton now starts to think, Oh, she's in love. But this is where you start to see. And that's why I want to bring this up. I want to bring this up before we get to the point where he goes into her collection and starts destroying things. You start to see that he is more stern, that he isn't as soft because in the original animated version, he's like, my daughter in love? And like he gets kind of googly eyed. <laughs> yeah. In this case, he's like, Sebastian, go find the man. You know what I mean? Like he's just very much blunt force, head on straight, not even on a swivel, because his head's not on a swivel. It's just laser focus, eyes forward. And I kind of like that they, st- I think it's low key, but I like the fact that they started planting it here.
1: You know what it always almost reminds me of? Uh, it, it's almost like, Sebastian, you've got a special set of skills. Go.
0: How many times are you going to bring up Liam Neeson? <laughs> this has been happening a lot lately. Has it really? Yeah, and I think that's independent of the fact that we just did Narnia last month.
1: Yeah. but it, Well, I guess it was just the way that you said it, and, and you're talking about him being laser-focused. Like, I mean, if you want to think about a laser focused father look no further um but i'm glad that you bring up the scene not just for what it's doing for triton um it's also drawing that line more between land and sea because what they're doing here is cleaning up the shipwreck shipwreck by the way uh looked amazing i love that they both save max um yeah talk about a meet cute there um, even though, again, they're not actually... One of them is not seeing the other, but still, I I just love that moment. Um. You know, I've said, it's what makes Eric my favorite prince is that he goes back for the dog, but now they're both helping him. And they do um bring that back around later with Ariel's relationship with Max. I think that's really cool. But anyway, the sisters are... Presumably, they've stuck around after their meeting to help clean up the shipwreck. Yeah. Um... I love how they're talking about it's going to take years to grow this coral back. Um, I think that that's so important that they hit on that and you know, the oceans being destroyed Um, and Ariel immediately comes to the humans defense and not in a way of like, here she goes again. She's like, I doubt that they intended to get in a shipwreck because she's seen it. She's seen what it did. She's seen people almost die Like, of course you didn't do this on purpose. Like, yes, it's horrible for the ocean, but it's also horrible for them to experience. Um, So I love that this just sort of reinforces it's not just about keeping Ariel safe. It's about we don't associate with them and this is why. And I think that this was such an effective change and so much more of an upgrade to have them just sitting around in their dressing room getting ready. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about another effective change. Are we ready to move on and talk about the scene where Triton does go into Ariel's collection?
1: This is, this is an effective change you're saying?
0: Yes, it is. Let's hear it. Triton, in the original film, lashes out angrily, destroys her collection, and almost immediately shows remorse. So it's kind of an emotional outburst that you could tell he didn't mean. In this case, he launches his destruction on the collection and with no remorse says, don't ever leave again. And I go, yes, 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 we need this because this is no longer... Triton being a jerk for the sake of, this is the character. This is the authoritative, militant father. I'm not saying it makes him more likable, but damn it if it doesn't make him more believable.
1: You know, I hadn't even considered that, but you're absolutely right. This is like King Triton, ruler of the seven seas, not like single dad trying to navigate seven kids seven daughters of all things you're absolutely right what I bump on with this scene though as great of a character moment as it is this is again where the CGI does not look great and it does a complete disservice to what is one of the most iconic scenes in the Disney canon um why explosions underwater like it's fire it's, it's not going to go anywhere. So why make it fire? Why not do this practically and just like blow them up? And if you had filmed it in slow motion, it would have looked great like it was happening in the water.
0: I think that that's fair. I mean, I think there is volcanic activity under the surface. But yes, I, I think that that's a valid point. Fair
1: enough. But I, I you're right. Yes, you could make the argument that like physics wise it would work. But what they did instead was they slapped a slapped an explosion over what's breaking when they could have instead just done this practical and, you know, blown these things up from the inside without fire. And you you could have shown all of these things shattering without just slapping slapping a cover on it is essentially what they did.
0: Yeah. I think the other thing that they do really well here in making Triton this kind of character, and again, it's because we are assuming that Ariel is older here than she is in the original. And the original, and I'm not criticizing it, we love the original film. And because it is animation, it is going to be a little bit more lighthearted. They don't really need to do that here. Instead of just having Ariel being like, Daddy and being so upset you now I don't want to I don't want to use a bad word so I'll just say you tick her off. You push her over the top because to your point, she's not a child living under her father. It's not my house, my rules. She's an adult, we assume. She has her own right to make her own decisions, we assume. Whether he's overbearing or not is irrelevant because at this point You have now pushed her over the top. You've gotten her so upset that she's going to lash out. You're going to get, you need her exposed to the sea witch. And this is the perfect opportunity to do it because now she's not just a petulant child running away. She is a vindictive adult looking to shove it up as you know what.
1: You are absolutely right, but... There is an added layer to that, which is where the brilliance of this quote at the beginning comes from, because they're handcuffed by the fact that she can't actually cry. We see a 16 year old crying after Triton destroys her grotto in the animation here. She's got her head down. She's very much frustrated, but you have to get her angry. You can't get her sad because we're not going to be able to see that. And if if you do show her crying, it's going against everything that you've set up. And, you know, that's sort of like a central theme of the movie. So it's hugely important. Um, where they also go dark with it, we are going to talk about poor unfortunate souls when we talk about the music, but I don't want to skip over this moment now because it's a big change and it's so important. Um, Picking the scale. What do you think about that? I love it. Me too.
0: I think it's great. I think that you show blood. You show pain. Um,
1: Sacrifice.
0: Yeah. Everything about this works. And, and, and the poach. I love that this seems like a poach. Yes. That Ursula... Again, she planned, she bided her time, she remained patient in her descent into madness, and it made it almost harder to watch in all of the right ways. Especially because Ariel, there's a moment where she backs out. Yeah. She's not gonna do it. She's so reluctant, and that's when you get, come on, you poor unfortunate. She, it like, it does so much. For Ursula as a character, she knows that she's got, I mean, she says it, I've got her, the boss is on a roll. She knows she's got her, she knows, pun intended, she's got her hooked, she's got to push it over the finish line. Everything about this is so brilliant for the character, and this is where they really one-upped her in, in all of the ways that I think were necessary.
1: The only thing that I'm not sure we need, though, is this added element that Ursula incorporates into the potion of making her forget Uh, that she needs the kiss. Yes. I go back and forth with this so much because I think you're losing a lot of the comedy that comes along with it because she's so desperate to um, break Ursula's spell. However, I think this does really strengthen Ariel's character because instead of needing it, she wants to kiss Eric. So it's a big boost for not only her character, but also for their romance being believable.
0: I don't think that we needed this. Um, Because to me, she has an inner monologue. She, She has a song that she sings to herself as soon as she gets on land. She knows Scuttle. She knows Sebastian. She knows Flounder. She knows Eric. She knows that she's pursuing Eric. But it's like amnesia by convenience. It it gets very confusing that it's like she all of a sudden has temporary brainwash where she doesn't remember why she's there. And I think that what it does take away from, I think they tried too hard to make it. I think they tried too hard to make it um, a a mutual romance, a consensual romance. Mm. And we're going to talk about some of the lyric changes when we talk about the soundtrack. I think it was always a consensual romance because Ariel was smitten with Eric from the moment she saw him. I think what you lose here is her needing to work in conjunction with Scuttle and with Flounder and with Sebastian in making this work because she does lose the ability to communicate. And I feel like you take Ariel out of this and all of a sudden it becomes Sebastian and Scuttle's movie.
1: I agree with that. And I think that that also has to do with giving Sebastian more of a purpose to be there with her other than just to keep an eye on her because you cut Chef Louis' scene, which is a travesty, by the way. It was. I I still have not forgiven this movie for that. But I think because Sebastian is constantly reminding her, you need the kiss, you need the kiss, that becomes more of his function other than I'm here to protect her at my own peril. Yeah. yeah. So that was a probably not the best cut.
0: <clears throat> and you needed to develop Sebastian a little bit more. Right. I feel like they relied on developing Sebastian by developing his relationship with Scuttle. I feel like by the end of the movie, Sebastian is the same. I think in the animated version, Sebastian has a character arc. I don't think Sebastian has that here. That That is a criticism that I have that I wasn't very aware of the first time we saw it, but now that we've sat here a few times, like, I, I think that we're going to talk a little bit about character arcs for a few of these characters and we're going to wonder whether they had them or not. And I can tell you confidently Sebastian doesn't have it.
1: I think that's also part of the trade-off with being handcuffed by keeping Flounder in the ocean is that in the animation, Sebastian and Flounder are a team. It's more of a buddy system that they've got and you know that Scuttle's going to be a foil. And now you instead have Sebastian relying on Scuttle, which, by the way, line of the movie is that first morning when Scuttle bursts in. Has Ariel killed the prince yet? It slaps.
0: It's very funny. Um, something else that I really like that they did here is that they continue to draw on the bond and how Eric and Ariel strengthen their bond based on his collection. Going Ugh, back to I like what you scene. said about it being the kindred spirits and how she is starting to show him how some of the things in his collection, how there's more to it than meets the eye. I thought it was really, really well done.
1: It's brilliant. Even just in the way that they shot Eric's treasure trove, where, you know, they're they're moving the camera all the way up to the ceiling um, and exposing how big the room is, that is like a mirrored shot of her grotto. Um, So I love that they did that. I love that they're showing more parallels. Is it a little bit on the nose? Yeah, maybe, but this is such a great, scene. I love how he has the little glass mermaid from Cartagena that she's immediately drawn to and he gives it to her. I love that she is teaching him things and I think that this is an area where they so improved on the animation because you know we kind of we were very critical of Eric because she can't talk and we kind of just leave it at that. He doesn't really do anything to try and communicate with her. And conversely, neither does Ariel. She just kind of accepts her fate of not being able to talk. And, you know, she's trying to use her feminine wiles and do exactly what Ursula said and use her body language. But she knows how to write. We saw her sign her name. That was like a big criticism of the animation. We've seen her write. Why aren't you just writing? Um, So instead, they address all of that by having her communicate and have... and instead they address all of it by having her figure out how she needs to communicate with him without words this is also for me Sebastian's best scene where he's like hey girl I I love it I absolutely love it
0: Now, I'm going to hit fast forward a little bit because there's not much in my opinion that that needs to be dissected here. She's on land. She ends up in what I can only imagine is like a version of the straw market in the Bahamas because that is basically where they have set us. Um, But you get the Jodie Benson cameo.
1: This scene is where it was so worth changing the setting of this film. Agreed. Because the Little Mermaid it's supposed to take place in Denmark and that's where you get the, what's supposed to be a Canon connection to frozen and, uh, Anna and Elsa's parents, you know, that we're supposed to believe that their shipwreck is on the bottom of Ariel's ocean. But to me, this is where it pays off tenfold for this scene. Um, especially because what is Ariel singing about in her, I want song. I want to be where the people are. I want to see them dancing. Shouldn't just see them. She goes and she dances. This is a huge moment. Um besides the Jodie Benson cameo. Um I'm very happy that Jodie Benson got her moment. I think a lot of that comes from um what this film meant to the Walt Disney Company and to the filmmakers and the cast and crew when they did it back in 1989. Um, and I love that they pay homage to that. I love that they're keeping that flame alive of the original, but they are also being cognizant of they are telling the story in a different way. So is it a little bit heavy-handed to have her pass the dinglehopper? Yes, but it's nice that they did it.
0: Um, Let's move forward now. Because most of what happens at this point is in song, I feel. But we're not talking about that right now. Let's fast forward to the moment where Ursula decides... They've gotten too close following the kiss the girl moment. Um, I need to take matters into my own hands. And she goes up on the shore. The actress that plays Ursula on land... Like, low-key is so good, it's ridiculous.
1: She is unhinged, and it's absolutely incredible. It's all
0: in the eyes, and she just nails it. Yeah.
1: What I also love that they do here, that they didn't... I don't believe they did in the animation, Um, because you have Jodie Benson doing the what is labeled in this movie the siren call, which... We haven't got to talk about it yet, too. I love that they, again, lean into the lore that it's a, mer- a it's a siren song used yeah. to lure sailors. Yep. So I th- believe that they're using Jodie Benson. Well, no, they they absolutely are as far as any time um, it's coming out of Ursula's necklace in the animation. But there's that moment when Vanessa is singing to herself in the mirror. That's not Jodie Benson. So here I love that they used Hallie's voice throughout because that's the other thing. Ursula stole her voice. We shouldn't be hearing anyone but Ariel. Right. So I love it for that. However, I kind of feel like they did Melissa McCarthy dirty by not allowing her to play the dual role on land. And it's like, why didn't you cast someone who could do both?
0: Um, I think that that's a fair criticism, but at the same time, If you're looking at the animated version, you'd never see Vanessa on screen and be like, oh, it looks just like Ursula.
1: Right. That's true. No. And I mean, that's the thing. I don't think that Melissa McCarthy was insulted because it's like you're being cast to play Ursula. Like you're going to go for Ursula. And she loves this character so much, too. So I don't think that she necessarily cared and I'm just surprised that they didn't take this as an opportunity to give us the visual cue that it is the sea witch on land and have an actress that does the dual role.
0: But well, we get Eric in his little trance as soon as he sees her, right? And um, I kind of, if there's any sort of magic that's playing up here, I'm glad that they, I feel like they hit on that better here than they did in the animated version that he himself is now under a spell. And I guess if there's any payoff for putting Ariel under a spell, this is kind of the payoff cuz now they both are, but it it leaves things almost unbelievable. Um because when we get to the moment, now I love the fact that you actually have like a physical altercation. Yes. Between Ursula and Ariel. I understand that Ariel is supposed to forget and go into this amnesia trance anytime she thinks about kissing Eric, but she knows that she's trying to stop Ursula from marrying Eric because she wants her voice back and so that she doesn't become property of Ursula. I feel like... Somewhere in there, she knows that she has to stop Ursula to get her voice back to then kiss Eric. And I feel like there there's a sloppiness in there that she's very aware of what's happening, but not amnesia by convenience at this point.
1: Well, I think a lot of that has to do with the way that this is set up in... Um the kiss the girl reprise which we will talk about but she goes back out to her rock like the rock where the money shot happens you know which one i'm talking about and that's where flounder sebastian and scuttle find her and they reiterate everything of like this is what happened to you um ariel's sitting there you know because she's broken-hearted thinking that eric is picking the wrong girl And one thing that I bump on in that moment is I don't know if it's a shadow from her hair or if it's supposed to be a tear. And if it's a tear, going back to that quote at the beginning of the movie, this needs to be a bigger moment. I should not be wondering if it is not a tear because this is huge. This is part of what you wanted. Like, yes, you fell for a boy, but this is part of the human experience of falling in love and having your heart broken. So there should also be like a beauty in this breakdown of I got what I wanted. I'm having all of these human feelings, but this is part of it. And that also should have been enough of a motivation within herself to keep going after what she wants without having the rest of them spell it out. And to go back to the point that you were saying it is kind of weak sauce that there was this added element with the convenient amnesia. Um, But I agree with you. I like that, you know, she still is going to fight for what she wants. Um, And I also love the change that we're not swimming out to a boat that's in motion. We're not having Flounder tow Ariel out there. I like the engagement party. I like that it's at the castle. Um, I like that you know you're seeing the sunset right behind them and really just seconds too late and it's not even Ariel pushing for the kiss she's she doesn't even care she wants to explain to Eric everything that's happened and he's like none of that matters now um so I think this was all like really well done and then you have this unhinged transformation of Vanessa back to the sea, which I love the cliff dive. I, I think that's all really well done.
0: As do I. Um, let's talk about how the way the movie ends here, because you have Ariel basically giving up herself to save Triton, right? Whereas in the original film, Triton gives himself up to save Ariel Because we see him become a part of Ursula's garden. Mm -hmm. By the way, that entire thing is gone. They've gotten rid of that entire premise. That those who can't pay their debt become a part of her collection. Instead, we see her holding a handful of skulls. Which is super dark. But I think that there's something missing here. That we don't see Triton become weak. We don't see him become a part of her garden. It's such... It's such a moment in the original animated film where the great and mighty trident is literally shrunk down and withered down to nothing. You miss that entire thing here. I'm not quite sure that we needed Ariel to save him.
1: Right, because another big switch is that Ariel is ultimately steering the ship into Ursula. So you've already got her strong character moment there. Um, so you didn't necessarily need her to do both, but I think I actually would have rathered her make the sacrifice for her father instead of being the one who ultimately takes down Ursula, because here's the thing. And I think this is where this is a case of these Disney live action films trying to apologize for things. We've already seen Ariel make a huge save in the shipwreck. We know she saves Eric. That's how the whole movie launches. She also saves Max. She makes sure that everyone is okay. We have seen her be very, very strong. And on, in all of the moments on land, we've also seen her be very, very smart. If Eric was the one to steer the ship into Ursula, which number one, I buy because he's a sailor, I don't think that it would have taken away anything from Ariel being a strong female character. And in fact, what you've done is for as much as we've built Eric up, you've sort of knocked him down a peg. Because one of the things that we talked about when we reviewed the animated film is that Eric earns Triton's respect by killing Ursula. And he, Triton not only realizes that not only, not all humans are bad, that they do care. And you do need that for Triton to ultimately make the decision that Ariel's, that he's gonna let Ariel go and be with this person. So now you've lost all of that. So why then? is Triton going to let her go and live in the human world when Eric has really done nothing now in favor of the people You could make the argument that it goes back to what we were talking about, that this really is the story of the father and the daughter and them coming to a mutual understanding and mutual respect of each other. But I feel like you do need this for Triton and Eric.
0: I would agree with you there. I, I also think though that because of the way that this film has been set up with the motivation that this isn't solely about Ariel wanting to explore the surface and that she thinks that people are good. She's actively trying to bridge a gap that wasn't always there. So I don't think that Eric necessarily needs to prove himself to Triton. Because ultimately, all Ariel needs to prove is that she can bridge the worlds together. And I think that in this case, they've sort of succeeded in doing that. So I don't think you need much more than that. And I think politically, Triton does have to look at this as a bond with the human world. And ultimately, it's only going to strengthen them and keep his own people safe. Again, I think this is a very different Triton than we saw in the first film. So I think for all of those reasons, you didn't really need to have that, come here, son. You know, you didn't need to have that moment. No,
1: you you don't need the attaboy and the, the pat on the back, but what I'm saying is you need Eric to earn this in some way, and we don't have that anymore. Other than my daughter sees a lot of good in him, so he's probably not such a bad guy, you know?
0: Well, I think that to your point though that was in service of making ariel a stronger character which you didn't need to do because she was a strong character in the animated version she was a strong character here but it is a, i i see what you're saying i think that the change works because of what they did with triton but i i think that your point is is completely valid
1: yeah i mean you didn't sacrifice eric's character in totality in service of Ariel, you just sacrificed a moment. I do want to talk about how they successfully bridge these worlds in the last shot here, because now we've completely won over Eric's mother um, because she's been the one who's very fearful of the seas and she's completely changed her mind. Um, And then we have that last moment of, they're going to explore Uncharted Waters, which I love the callback here. And Ariel says goodbye to her father. She says father, which is not the same as the I love you, Daddy, that rips my heart out every time in the animation. We did not need to change that. If you're if you've done a beautiful job here of doing a shot-for-shot shot remake, how about the line-for-line line remake in this moment? It it doesn't hit the same way. But also. Who are all of these mer people that we're all of a sudden supposed to care about? I mean, you get the sisters who have presumably stuck around for Triton in his crisis instead of going back to their own seas. I don't know, but apparently they're still there. Um, maybe the coral moon is a week-long celebration. I don't know. It's a workshop. We're going to assume that but- this is a corporate
0: <laughs> workshop.
1: But... What I bump on is, to your point, half of the people in the last shot of the animation were Ursula's garden because they were all trying to trade something and they've come back now. So where did all these people come from?
0: Well, especially because we don't have the musical number with the clamshell in the beginning, so we don't see any of these people.
1: Exactly. And we're supposed to care about them now. I mean, you you don't need the world to be this populated to confirm to the humans the existence of mermaids. We've right. already done that.
0: Right. Um, All right. Why don't we move on? Let's start talking about the cast, Um, which, of all things, I feel like we're going to spend the least amount of time talking about because, I mean, what is there to say? Hallie Bailey. She's just unbelievable.
1: She's so perfect. When you and I uh did our review of the animation we had talked about who we would cast in this role and at the time we had both said Anna Kendrick because she was coming fresh off of into the woods um you know and and we thought that she had the voice and I seeing this now I can't even imagine anyone other than Halle Bailey playing Ariel um, forget about the fact that Anna Kendrick would have aged herself out anyway. The way that she, that Hallie embodied the character that we know, and put just enough of a change into her with without like she never lost the base of who Ariel is. She just enhanced it, just so perfect. And what's more, is so captivating. I think she looks so cool as a mermaid, but to me, my favorite moments are when she's on land and and having to communicate without words because she just has such an enchanting quality about her. You're just drawn to her, and she was absolutely spectacular.
0: Jonah Howard King plays Eric. I thought that he was excellent here. I I love how they... Added on to this character, how they gave him more depth, how they gave him more motivation. Originally, the actor that they had in negotiations for this role was Harry Styles. And he turned it down. Thank God. No shade thrown at Harry Styles. I like him plenty. Um, But I think that they got the casting right here.
1: No, and I, I do, I agree with you. I like Harry Styles um, and where they're going to take him in Marvel. Well, maybe. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I like him in, um, uh, what was Olivia Wilde's movie uh, with Florence Pugh.
0: Oh, yeah, that Atomic Bomb movie.
1: I thought he was...
0: It was so good we can't remember the name of it.
1: No, that's Oppenheimer.
0: No, but weren't they working on like an Atomic Bomb or an Atomic City with Florence Pugh?
1: I can't remember if that's what they were working on, but it was, well, I don't want to say what it was because I don't want to spoil the movie, but anyway, he was great in that, but I just don't buy him as my Prince Eric. Um, I absolutely love Eric in this. Um, I love the actor. I, I think that his portrayal was absolutely perfect. And I love that they righted the wrongs of this character and they made him a lot deeper than he is in the animation.
0: Melissa McCarthy. And what, else, what else do you say?
1: Perfection. An- another one where I can't imagine anyone else playing this role. And you and I had like a big wish list for who we would have cast. You said Sarah Ramirez, who I thought would have been absolutely brilliant because we know she's got the chops to sing it. Um, I had said I would have really loved if they cast a man in this role and did the drag makeup uh cuz i think that that could have been a lot of fun and they could have really um made a much more whimsical character but also a, a diabolical character i think that there were endless possibilities there but now after seeing melissa mccarthy um th- there's just no one that could do it better and it's not just in the aesthetic it's not just in the way that she sings it's in the way that she did the same thing that Hallie did. She kept the base of everything that we love this character, but put her own spin on it. And I thought that that was going to be really difficult to do because Pat Carroll's voice is just so unique in this role, but the way that Melissa McCarthy inflects on some of the lines, like life's full of tough choices, isn't it? She's totally made it her own and it, it was amazing.
0: But there are moments where if you shut your eyes, you can't tell the difference between the two of them. Yes. Um, Javier Bardem plays King Triton. I like Javier Bardem. I like this version of Triton. I might even like this version of Triton more than I liked him in the animated film.
1: I like Javier Bardem. I like this version of Triton. I just don't know that I like Javier Bardem playing this version of Triton. Um, I've been racking my brain to think of who else that I would have cast instead because you know you you have to get the age right because you know he's older he's graying but he's still really buff Um, and you have to have somebody that can strike that balance of you know being a father being a girl dad. And being a ruler, and I, I think that they struck that balance as the character, uh, yeah, for the character. But I just don't know that I buy it from Javier Bardem, and the only other person that I could think of was Jeffrey Dean Morgan.
0: Oh, he would have been good. I think he would have been real good.
1: We've seen what he can do with a bat. I'm very curious to see what he would do with the Triton.
0: David Diggs plays Sebastian. This was a- extraordinary casting.
1: Perfect. And I mean, yes, you could argue that there's like a slight nepotism because of his relationship to Lin-Manuel Miranda. But again, this is a case of taking an iconic character, keeping what we love and also making it your own. Uh, When we reviewed the animation, I was pounding the table for Wayne Brady, but I didn't know who David Diggs was at that point. Like he was in Hamilton in the original cast, but like I hadn't seen the original cast on Broadway. Um, I I can't see it any other way. David Diggs is perfect.
0: Aquafina is scuttle. Um, said it before. Thought it was really good. Um, I, I I liked her in the role. I thought that she was she was funny. I thought she brought the right amount of funny to it. Um, we'll talk about this uh, soundtrack in a few minutes. But otherwise, I thought a fairly flawless performance.
1: I mean. Comedy-wise, she's nobody Buddy Hackett, but I thought that she, she brought it. You know, she made it her own. Um, I think it's a great voice performance. I like, as far as her being a voice actress, I like this a lot better than I like Sisu. And for me, most of the moments where I genuinely laughed out loud were because of her delivery. Um, we are going to talk about the music and that song. But I think it is worth noting how impressive it is that she managed to hold her own with David Diggs in a rap.
0: Are you ready to move on and talk about
1: the soundtrack? I think so. I mean, that is the rewatchability of this movie. I think most of that comes from the soundtrack, whether it's this or the animation. Um, I love that they got Alan Mencken back. Um I think that this must have been an incredibly difficult position for him to be put in to keep the integrity of what he achieved with Howard Ashman. Um, because they did win an Oscar for this. I believe it was their first Oscar win. First of eight. Um, or or at least Alan Menken right. has eight Oscars because he's second behind Walt Disney as far as having the most. Um, but this was a huge deal because, you know, we've talked about it ad nauseum where this is the film that saved the company and it was a huge roll of the dice. And a lot of the reason that it was so successful is because of what these two achieved with the music. Um, So, you know, he's reliving all of that, but he's also got to be cognizant of I'm working with a new team. I can't be the stick in the mud that's stuck in my ways and and harp on how we did things and instead I think he also sort of embraced that um sort of uh struggle that a lot of creatives deal with is that you're never going to be done. You're always going to want to work, you're always going to want to find ways to improve things, but at the end of the day, there's going to be a deadline and you just have to stop the work. So I think that he took this opportunity to look at it with years more experience and figure out where he could build on certain things or maybe carry out some of the things that he would have done the first time but but couldn't. Um, but I, I think the marriage with keeping the integrity of... The originals and working with Lin-Manuel Miranda really worked, and that's not something I thought I was going to come out of this saying, because if you've been here for a while, you know how we feel about Moana.
0: For all of the reasons you just mentioned, in addition to the fact that it's Howard Ashman, you don't change his lyrics. You don't touch his music. Um. I have a great respect for Lin-Manuel Miranda. I like him more as an overall showman and performer than I do as a songwriter. Agreed. He is not the next Freddie Mercury. I am tired of people saying this. You're wrong. I don't often come out and say you're wrong. You're wrong. He's not the next Freddie Mercury. Do not put him on that pedestal. I also don't care that much for musical theater, so maybe I'm missing something. To me, he had two very successful Broadway hits, one of which has obviously changed the landscape of the industry, and I'm not taking that away from him, and I believe that he does deserve those accolades. Do I think Hamilton's that great? No. I think it's sort of ordinary. I think it gets a lot of attention because of the way that that story is being told in a very unconventional Broadway way. I think that Lin-Manuel Miranda is very talented. I think he's got a great respect for the industry, but I don't think that Howard Ashman's lyrics need to be changed or should ever be changed.
1: Here's the thing. I do agree. Well, I I disagree. I think that Hamilton is absolutely genius. I think that that's where people do refer to him as brilliant, and they're right about that. Um, In the Heights is okay, Not my cup of tea. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just not really my thing. Um, But I agree with you. I like him more as a persona than I do as a songwriter. I think what sort of makes it okay, I, I mean, I'm not okay with changing Howard Ashman's lyrics, but I would feel a lot more strongly that he should have left it alone if he wasn't working with Alan Menken because these two were so careful, about how they handle this, and the other thing is that Alan Menken has known Lynn Miranda for quite a while. It's not just because they're running in the same Disney circle. Um, Lynn went to school with um, Alan Menken's niece, and once Lynn found out who his niece what or. You know, who his classmate's uncle was, right? He started, you know, haranguing her about, I have to meet him. And and I mean, he has the utmost respect for Alan Mencken and Howard Ashman. His kid is named Sebastian for crying out loud. So, keeping all of that in mind, I don't think that he was like coming in here from an egotistical standpoint of, let me change this and let me put my spin on it. I think it was just, you know, him coming in with the utmost respect and knowing that he had to modernize a couple of things.
0: Part of your world. Um, getting, I mean, right into it. Because I believe, yes, that is the first musical number that we have here. Obviously different than in the animated uh, feature. Halle Bailey slays it. Yeah, I didn't think that anybody could do it as good as Jodie Benson. Many have tried. All but one have failed, in my opinion, this being the exception.
1: It's just incredible. I mean, not only does she sound gorgeous vocally, um, it's the performance here. It's that, you know, it's exactly what I said before. It's that she's keeping what we know and love about Ariel and she's enhancing it um because she's not only making it her own but there's also so much more of a quality of feeling trapped in the way that she's performing this as opposed to Ariel being defiant and I think that that comes through not just in the dialogue and the changes that they make to the character, I think it's all funneled through this performance. And I just totally buy it from her. And she's absolutely incredible.
0: Under the Sea.
1: Uh, Hold on, you're skipping one. Am I? I love that they made Fathoms Below more of like a sea shanty. I think that that was a really clever... I I like where they moved it. I like that they're singing it at Eric's birthday. And it does give it that more piratey feel to your point earlier fine
0: um to me i i I just overlooked it it's to me it's not really a musical number but with that said under the sea i i like how david diggs performs it i think he sounds great they take all of the best parts of under the sea out of the number yeah. Now, listen, I'm the one that a little while ago said you're doing a live-action remake. It needs to look real. And I stand by that. But you can look real and still have the fluke play the hoop. Uh, The fluke play the flute. Flutes. The carp play the harp. Yeah. You know, like... You, you take the most... F- debatably. The most fun number... In the history of a hundred years of Disney animation, and you strip away the best part of it and some of the best lyrics and most fun lyrics and songwriting. And instead, you get Ariel like jumping in. So now it's like a duet. She's having so much fun with being under the sea that the movie should end here. And all of a sudden, she's just gone again.
1: That was something that I haven't even considered because, yeah, she is chiming in. She's not supposed to be celebrating being under the sea. No. This is Sebastian trying to convince her that it's great under the sea and she doesn't buy it. Um, So now that we're talking through this, yeah, that is a little bit problematic. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is... Arguably the biggest gamble of doing this film live action is this number, because this is where just animation as a medium. It it stands on its own for reasons, like taking what a fish looks like and turning it into an instrument and buying that, you know, this, type of a fish would be playing that instrument and an octopus is playing the drums um i missed all of those things desperately but for what it is um one of lynn's biggest questions when uh he was you know starting the initial conversations about taking on this project he asked rob marshall how are you going to do under the sea and rob marshall's answer was carnival And I think that that is the mark of a great director. When you have such an effective way of communicating that what is in your head is able to be not only understood by the cast and crew, but it ends up being the final product. Because as soon as I saw that in interview, I was like, oh yeah, that's exactly what this is. And I think that story and character-wise where this is sort of a setback what it achieves visually is nothing short, short of spectacular because they use the Alvinelli dance company to do the motion capture and i think it was worth extending the number and giving this piece a little bit of a chance to breathe where they are just having these instrumental moments and no one's singing over it to like you know, create the the movement of the things like the mushrooms or the turtles or the jellyfish. I think that that's all. I think not only does it all work, but that's where you have to have some give and take with the trade off of not doing this as an animated film. And you do have to play into, to your point, the realism of it. And how are we going to get Ariel to interact with all of these things? I think that. They were able to address every challenge. And what does impress me the most, um, I was very critical of the Broadway play because this number just fell flat for me. And the reason being is because they didn't utilize the space on the stage. There was just a lot of negative empty space and you don't get that because you have these full frames of animation. They did that here. They utilized it. There was no... Nothing was empty. Nothing looked unfinished. They were able to fill these frames and breathe so much life into it. Um, you didn't lose the energy of this piece, which I think was important. Wild Unchartered Waters. Um,
0: I think it's a, a very well-written song to Lin-Manuel Miranda's credit. I think that it's a very well-written song. Um, I think that it's extraordinarily well-performed and completely unnecessary. <gasps> I don't think Eric needed to have a song.
1: I couldn't disagree with you more. I think this is the perfect addition. Um, I think it strengthens the character. I love how Ariel's siren siren melody is woven throughout this piece. I love the lyrics and all of this nautical imagery that it's painting. Um, you know, to me, this is where. This is Eric's I Want song. This is another parallel to Ariel's story of, you know, he's not going to listen to his mother and he is going to put himself in danger and risk it all to go find this girl. But more to the point, he's also going to pursue what he believes in as far as, you know, keeping open communication with the rest of these islands. Um, So... I, I think it's a great number. I think this is where also it shows that Lin-Manuel Miranda understood the assignment because that was my big takeaway from this is that Howard Ashman, I, I feel like these lyrics are the closest to Howard Ashman as, as we're going to get. Uh, so I was pretty impressed by that. And I also love that you're um, giving Eric sort of a theme here um, by doing a play on the phrase that "tide and time wait for no one. Because he's not going to wait anymore. He's not going to do what he's told. He's going to go after what he wants. So I think not only was this song, I I wouldn't call it necessary, but I think it was a great ad.
0: Poor Unfortunate Souls. Now, when Melissa McCarthy was announced in the role, I was cautiously optimistic because I love Melissa McCarthy. I think that she more times than not, unfortunately, is typecast as somebody that's supposed to trip and fall over something. Um, I think her performance in St. Vincent kind of changed a lot of people's perspective of Mm -hmm. her. Um, But I think that this moment, I love her in Mike and Molly. She's hysterical. Um, Bridesmaids, forget it. Uh, You know, just like breaks the mold. This moment, in my opinion, is the crown jewel performance of her career
1: wow i mean we've been mike and molly fans from the beginning and for me hello gilmore girls i mean that's the thing i think that because she did that style of comedy for a while people forget what a great actress she is because as suki she was incredible um so i knew that she had the chops but to me i agree with you i think this is probably her best performance um Again, she makes it her own. Um, she's got the chops to sing it too, which I was very impressed with. Yes. Um, and I just love overall how they made this number darker. You brought it up before that they used the skulls instead of Ursula's garden. Aside from the fact that I love that we had a swap of something they could have done CGI for something practical. This is also where you make this film a little bit darker. Um, and I also love how they sort of lean into the reverse psychology at the end where Ariel's not on the fence. In the animation, she's on the fence. Here, she makes up her mind that she's leaving. And, um, you know, Ursula's got to reel her back in. And when she's explaining the terms, instead of saying things like, you know, don't underestimate the importance of body language, she's like, "Ah, eh, fins. who needs them you know, she's downplaying what her life is now uh, in order to get her way. So I, I love the spin that they put on the character there and how Melissa McCarthy was able to convey that.
0: For the first time. This is the song that Ariel sings in her inner monologue once she gets on land for the first time. I like this as an inner monologue. I like this as a song. I like this for the character. So the brainwashed thing needs to go away. I I think that her being brainwashed needs to just evacuate this movie as quickly as possible. Because it it's, it, it's such a trigger point for me that she is so cognizant of what is happening all of the time. Except not. I I think that I think the brainwash spell is not only unnecessary. I think it mucks up an otherwise very flawless
1: plot. I so go back and forth on this one as far as did we need this or don't we? Um, I think that it's great timing to add in Ariel's point of view and give her a voice in this way when she doesn't have one. But I'm really surprised the way that this song turns so fast to the seaweed is not always greener because, you know, the lyrics are this gravity is pulling me down. So to me, this song should be more of the callback to part of your world, which was your I Want song. We should see her getting excited about everything that she's experiencing as a human for the first time. And I think that more so what I bump on than the lyrics is the visuals because they don't match what she's singing about. For example, she's rescued by a fisherman in the water, which is kind of ironic because that's what they've been trying to avoid this entire time. Um, And we don't see the boat pull up to land and her first steps onto a dock we see her try to stand on the boat and she falls we don't see her first steps at all um they put her right in a carriage and drive her up to the castle and she's singing about as I walk for the first or as I jump for the first time I should see you jumping I should see you trying I feel like this would have almost been more effective if they had pulled the boat up to the dock and here is where you have the market because this is a trades town. So her first experience being where the people are, what she wanted would have been walking through this market and everybody's trying to sell her something while she's just trying to learn how to walk. And maybe she's tasting things for the first time. Um, I love that scene where it's at, though, as far as, like, them having a date. So I don't know that I I would say I would rather trade one for the other. But I feel like we needed to see her walk through town at some point here before we just throw her in a cart, get her up to the castle, put her in a bathtub. So, wait, your your first uh, activity on land, you're back in the water now? And then they write the fire that she's sitting next to into this song. That's such a huge moment in part of your world. She doesn't understand what it is. She doesn't know what a burn is. And now you get too close. Like that should be so much more of a moment. And it's not. I'm I'm hearing it. I'm not seeing it.
0: Kiss the girl. I I mean, I don't have much to say on it. I thought it was very good. I like how they brought in the bioluminescence that you have. Um, In some of the more tropical waters, I thought that that visually looked outstanding. It was good. There's nothing else about it. It was
1: very good. I think the sequence is absolutely stunning. But to me, this is probably my favorite ad of the whole movie where instead of Sebastian telling Eric what Ariel's name is, this is again where her intelligence shines through and she gets him to figure it out. She knows the constellations. He's pointing them out like he's explaining it to her. She already knows. Um, and through Aries, she gets him to say Ariel. And I just love it.
0: Scuttlebutt. <laughs> Go away. No, no shaded Aquafina. I think she and David Diggs did the best they could with a completely unnecessary, annoying song. And this is where, like, it's where I, I I have a respect for Lin-Manuel Miranda, and then and then crap like this comes out, and I go no 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 and no this 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 is but you know and a lot of a lot of critics, musical critics as well, ones that actually do really like his brand of songwriting, even they a lot of them I read a lot of reviews came out and said that this was sloppy. Um, the line that they specifically said was the one where Aquafina is like, "When I was in the swamp and I went ba chicka bat bat bat." Yeah. And they were just, like, they said like that is just not the standard that is set when you think about the songs that he has written in the past. Burn the sheet music and delete it and don't ever record it again.
1: My stance isn't that harsh. I'm not that much against it. Um, you know, I think it's a fun song do we need it though no because we've already seen scuttle and sebastian have to lean on each other at this point we know that sebastian's going to need him so it's it's not a character moment this is like what it feels like to me honestly is even though alan mankin knew lin Lin manuel miranda going into this and he respects him it's kind of like well, we're bringing Lynn onto this project, so let's just throw him a bone and let him do one of his little raps here. And that's sort of what it feels like, is that this was where they allowed him to put his own stamp on this film. And it was kind of a swing and a miss. And if we were going to have to have a musical break here, Chef Louis, this should have been Chef Louis.
0: Uh, Final thoughts on the Little Mermaid live action remake. I'll go ahead and let you go first.
1: Well, we did say fresh out of the theater and upon our first couple of viewings that this was perfect. Upon rewatch. I don't necessarily agree with that statement because there are a lot of. I think flaws is a harsh word, but we did find a couple of issues with it now that we're looking at it more critically. Um, But I will absolutely stand by the fact that this is the best live action movie that they've done. To me, this is why you do them. You're giving us the shot for shot remake. You're giving us all of these iconic scenes that we want to see brought to life. Um, We didn't even talk about, well, I hit on it earlier, the money shot. They, you know, you are so critical of Beauty and the Beast because they missed that chandelier shot. The way that they did Ariel on her rock with the water coming up was nothing short of spectacular. They gave us exactly what we wanted. So I love that we can find everything we love about the original in this film. But they did address some of the issues that people have always been critical of the animation, and they just managed to enhance it. And, um, What took me by surprise the most is how much I love this movie on its own for what it is. And yes, it's nostalgic for me, and it still evoked all of those feelings that I felt seeing it as a child. I was experiencing those same feelings as an adult, completely independent of the animation.
0: So I would agree upon rewatch, it is not quite as flawless as we thought it was when we watched it the first time through. Which is not uncommon for any movie. I, I think that um, you start to notice things, and you know, and sometimes that can swing in either direction. Sometimes you like something more, sometimes not as much. But with that being said, I don't, I don't want that to be a critique. I still think that this is the best live action remake that they've ever done. I think that it was worth the hype. I think that it was worth the wait. I thought that the performances were great. I thought that. The way it was shot was great. Um, Some unnecessary music and some horrific CGI. But hey, it's Disney. At this point, they're going to kind of... I hate to say it. They're going to kind of insult us until somebody pushes back on it. Um, The CGI at this point, they're just like, eh, it's cheap. They'll deal with it. Honestly, is how I believe that they feel. Um, But yeah, I I really enjoyed it. And I thought that... um, I still don't want them to continue making these damn things. But if you're going to do it, this needs to be the benchmark. Yes. There's no reason why you have a beauty and the beast when you have this. There's a no there's no reason why we're about to be cursed with the insult that is Snow White, which I've already said I'm not going to go see it. I'm I'm going to take a hard stance on that. There's no reason why we should be getting that when you have this. This needs to be the benchmark. This needs to be why you do live action remakes. Um and I hope that they stop with them, but they're not going to. So if you're going to do it, do it based on what worked here. Take that formula and run with it. Um, And frankly, that's really just how I feel about all of it. Call me jaded, call me whatever, but that is exactly how I feel. Um, But we want you to join the conversation um, on social media at Monorail Radio on all major platforms, or you can send us an email at monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first a quick break. Now that we live in Florida and spend a lot more time in Disney World, you know we love to share our park experiences with you, especially in our Dockside chats. However, telling you about our personal experience during a park day while sipping on a margarita is not the same thing as getting travel advice, which is why we are so happy to be partnered with our good friend Kelly at KMV Travel. You know Kelly from our reviews of Thor Ragnarok and Rogue One, and she has recently launched her own boutique travel company providing complimentary assistance with vacation planning. If you're thinking about booking a trip to Disney, you can visit kmvtravel.com and request Jackie as your travel
2: advisor. We promise she will help with more than where to find the best margaritas. Hey everyone, this is Brian down here in South Florida. I'm about two hours south of Disney, and when it comes to planning vacations, Jackie's the way to go. When it came to booking my family vacation for my two-year-old daughter and my wife, you know like everybody I immediately went to the internet started scouting prices just out of curiosity I reached out to Jackie she mentioned she was uh, booking vacations for many people so I gave her my uh, list my itinerary she looked it over and when she came back to me she gave me her recommendations in regards to the parks however she also had new pricing associated with it Um, I've learned that going on my own doesn't necessarily mean that I'll be getting the best pricing on top of that it was stress-free So all my vacations in the future are going to be through her because I don't have to think about it. She plans it. I give her some information in regards to what I want to do and create the itinerary for me. She's a market expert. She advised on which rides to attack first, which restaurants I should schedule on what day, and how to properly allocate my time to maximize my vacation. It was an amazing process. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon.
0: Some exciting news this week. If you are planning on traveling out to Anaheim this year, Um, D23, the ultimate Disney fan experience, formerly known as the D23 Expo. Uh, The dates have been announced. It's going to be August 9th through 11th, and tickets go on sale starting on March the 26th. I think... You know, we've talked about going out to the expo. We've planned on doing it in the past. I'm still not ready to commit to spending that much time and that much money at the expo because I, I just want them to see some projects through. This blue sky, sky blue, whatever it is that you call these projects, um, you you got to show me that something's actually getting done.
1: I would agree. But, I mean, more to the point for me, you and I haven't renewed our D23 uh, membership in quite a while. And I mean, that was something you and I were singing the praises of because that's how we got to tour the studios in Burbank. But what they've turned this expo into, I mean, you know you're going to get plenty of coverage by the Disney fans. This is supposed to be a fan event. So, of course, the... Influencer fans are going to be there and they're going to share it with their platforms and that's all well and good. But what this is turned into is that you're also inviting other influencers who are just there to be there and don't really care about Disney. You don't need any more coverage than, yeah. than you're already getting. And not only, you know, they usually stream all of the big announcements, which is great, because we should be allowed to participate if we can't spend the money to get out there to California. So I like that the fan base is included in that way. But what I'm hearing now is that they're also going to have um, streaming from the convention floor at the expo. And I was kind of like. Why are we going to pay all of this money when this is supposed to be a fan exclusive thing and it's being broadcast all over the place now? Um, so I think just D23 in general sort of needs to rethink how they are rewarding their fans with D23 as a whole, not just from the expo. Uh, but you can bet that we will be watching live as it all unfolds.
0: From the comfort of our own home. Yes, Now, if you are looking for a really excellent fan experience, and something that we are very excited about, House of Mouse Expo 2024. Michelle over at Main Street Mouse, her husband Scott, they put on this outstanding event every year. We attended it last year. We're going to be vendors on the floor this year. We're not selling you anything. If it's on the table, it's there to be taken for free. Um, But she announced... Two more celebrity guests uh, this week, Terry McGovern, who voiced Launchpad on DuckTales, and Irene Bedard, the voice of Pocahontas. Both have been named as guests onto a very impressive list of celebrity guests joining the House of Mouse Expo. Um, And that's going to be coming up at the Osceola Heritage Center um, March 2nd and 3rd of this year.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. We're we're starting to get everything together for it. We got our vinyl banner that we're going to be hanging up. Uh, we've got some stickers, some pens, and all of our other giveaways, which I've been collecting over a year, for over a year, the things that we're going to have out on this table. So I'm excited that we're going to be able to offer our friends some cool stuff.
0: Yeah, and you have more information over at HouseOfMouseExpo.com, um, information for... Uh, where you can get your hotel because she does have a block um, where you can get tickets to the event and the dates and times for everything that's going on, including uh, the panels and who the celebrity guests are going to be. So any information that you need, it's all going to be right there at houseofmouseexpo.com.
1: Or if you don't want to stay at the hotel block and you want to plan your Disney vacation around attending the House of Mouse Expo, there's somebody else that you can get in touch with and, I will be more than happy to help you book your vacation. Speaking
0: of giveaways, we do have one that we're going to give you today. We have a really, really nice uh, vinyl pop here um, of Ariel in her blue dress once she does make her way onto land from the live-action Little Mermaid. Um... We're going to do this the good old-fashioned way. Uh, we're going to post it on social media, on all major platforms at Monorail Radio. Make sure that you uh, that you are following us, that you like the post, and that you tag a friend. You will have until Monday, January 22nd, 2024, at 11.59 p.m. to enter to win the contest. And then we are going to give away this Vinyl Pop. I think this is one that is going to be very popular, and I think this is one that is going to be really, really sought after. Thank you so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Monoreal Radio will always be free, but there are many ways that you can support the show. Please give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Join the conversation on social media at Monoreal Radio on all major platforms. Share your favorite episodes with family and friends who may enjoy them, and of course, book your next trip With Jackie. Links to everything can be found at monorealradio.com. We all get one story. Make yours a magical one. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see
2: you at the movies The Stuff Dreams Are Made of.